Here's an important question. How does one get to heaven after he or she dies? Some say, well, you have to do your best to live a good life, and if it's good enough, you're in. Others say, you have to believe in Jesus and obey the Ten Commandments. Still others say, your good deeds don't get you to heaven. Faith in Jesus saves you. And there are many other formulas. So which is it? We'll talk about it today on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, which of the three options that I just mentioned works best for you, or do you have a different option? Um, the the one you mentioned at the end there, that um, being right, salvation is a work that God does, not a work that we do, and we access that by faith. And now I, you know, we use the language there of uh, getting to heaven. Uh, I think it's important, like, to understand as we jump into the topic of, uh, you know, good works and what they accomplish or what they don't accomplish. Is that in the Bible, the goal is never getting to heaven. The Bible doesn't. The, the Bible is not a plan for how to get to heaven. Uh, the Bible does uh, tell us about how God's rescuing the world, and within that story, it tells us how we can be right with God now, but um, getting to heaven is not the target. And that makes a big difference. It's actually, as we get into here, I think we'll see it. It makes a big difference. I'll just say a lot of the Christians that I know, they've made the target how to go to heaven when you die. And then being saved is just basically, I know this is an old preacher cliche. If you're in the Christian church, you've heard this before. Being saved is just fire insurance. It doesn't really have anything to do with anything in the real world. It has no effect on my life from day to day. I just got to know that when you know that when the uh, when the big guy calls me up to the sky, that he's going to let me in, and that's basically what salvation is. And when you narrow it down like that, it's really gonna it's it's really gonna uh, limit our um, options of how we can talk in a really understandable way about what salvation is. Well, let's come at it from a slightly different direction. When a person dies, the deal is sealed. That's where the deal is sealed. There will be no amendments or additions after that. It's either eternal life or eternal death. Would you agree with that? Can yeah. we, can we yeah. say it that way? Yeah. So how does one enter eternal life after death and all the things that that means, which means going to heaven and being with Jesus and being raised in your body yeah. on the last day yeah. in the resurrection of the dead, all those things. But it's at death when those things are sealed. So I'm thinking as we contemplate the persons who are listening to us now, a generation or two ago, I think most Americans went to church. There they learned their denominations teaching on eternal life. These days, fewer people are going to church, and the question is further complicated by an array of non-denominational congregations. So how much do you think today's modern American even considers the question of the biblical teaching of life after death? Uh, I think a lot of Christians do. That's, that's what they think about, going to heaven when I die. That's... Let's broaden it. Not just Christians, but people who, so in... for one reason or another, come across yeah. that thought, you know... I am going to die someday. What happens then? Yeah. So I, uh, in the Christian church, 
They think about it too much, or that's, that's the wrong way to say it. They think about it the wrong way. Outside the Christian church, fewer and fewer people are thinking about it. More and more of us are convinced. Yeah, outside the Christian church, more and more, more of us are convinced that uh, there is no life after death, that all there is is the material world, and once you die, once your body stops working, um, you're just gone. <laughs> that's kind of discouraging. So, so we got two groups. We got one group that doesn't think about it much at all, and we got another group who's thinking about it the wrong way. Yeah, we've got problems. Well, you know, the one of the places where that intersects is this notion of how can you be right with God? Do, do, you, do your good works make you right? Actually, you can even for, let, let's let's scrap the idea of God right now. What are your good? How do you? Uh, so I'm going to use a Christian word here. How are you justified? Now, that's uh, Christians use that word a lot, but actually, anybody can use it because we all do it. Everybody tries to justify themselves. Everybody has some sort of reason that they have in their head for this gives me value. This gives me purpose and meaning. This justifies my existence on this earth, whatever it is. And so, I think that Christians think too much about going to heaven when you die, and that's what justification is. Um, I think that people who aren't Christians don't necessarily think about. Are you heaven. saying that is what justification is, or they think they that's think what... that's what justification is for? Is like, how do I get to heaven when I die? Um, non Christians probably don't think about the word justification at all, but they're actually closer. They're closer to actually what justification's about because they think they're concerned with like. What's my purpose and meaning now? How do I have value now? Maybe it's my job. Maybe it's my relationships. Maybe it's some sort of skill that I'm good at and people recognize. That's actually, I think, closer to what the Bible's talking about. The question of how, how do you have purpose and meaning? How is your existence justified? And you know, the topic for today is that it's not, you know, the Bible insists it's not because of the good things that you do or the good person that you are. It's actually from something else. So we're using that kind of religious word, justification, justification. Yeah. Religious people, pastors like to throw that around. Um, I guess the opposite is to be unjust. And let's go to that first, because as people who think about this occasionally, or maybe for the first time because they Googled something and wound up on this podcast, think of themselves as not all that too terribly unjust. I'm I'm not unjust. And if I'm not unjust, I'm not sure I need to be all that justified. So let's start there. Am I unjust? Um well I, I justified and unjust, being just and being unjust are it depends on what you mean. Like the our word justice has the notion of like doing good things or not doing. He's an unjust person means he's a dishonest person. You know, know, she's a just person means that she does what's right. Justification is much broader than that, though. So so I I might be an unjust person, but I'm definitely trying to justify myself somehow. You know, I might be a scoundrel at work, but I'm good to my kids. Or, you know, I work hard to, like, you know, give my kids what they need, clothing and shoes. So I might be an unjust person, but I'm using some other standard to justify myself. So whether you think that you're unjust or just, everybody wants to justify themselves. Everybody wants to have this sense that I'm okay, I'm doing right. And what the Bible teaches is that none of us, we're all unjust, that's true, but maybe even more importantly than that, we're all unjustified if 
it comes down to our works. That's not going to justify us. That's not a good reason. That's that, that's not an ample enough reason for having value to your existence. Define works. If it comes down to our works. The things that you do, the things who you are, your hobbies, the way you treat your family, the job that you do, um, all of uh, everything that you could do is um <clears throat> is a, is a, a work or you know an action uh, a deed to use like a really old word a deed but the things that I do my job that gives me value my spouse she gives me value <clears throat> my hobbies how much money I have my race uh, all these things give me value. They justify me in my mind, or they don't justify me, or I'm not satisfied with them. They don't, they aren't a good reason for, you know, I, I can't say I have worth, I have value. And the Bible insists that none of that stuff, what, you know, your job. Um, so this is why it's so important that we, th- that, that we not, I'm talking to Christians now, that we not make it about going to heaven when you die. Eternal life is not something that happens then. It's something that happens. It should be happening now. We should be justified now. We all crave, we all crave knowing that we have value, that our life is worthy. Significance. Yes, significance. My existence is justified. I'm somebody. I'm somebody. Um, We all crave that. And the Bible insists that the only way you can have that is God has to do it. We can't do that on our own. So apart from a biblical understanding of justification, which we're going to get to down the road here, it sounds to me like you're saying that for self-examination, if somebody asks himself, well, am I unjust or just, which is it? I'm going to begin with my works. I'm going to review what I do and how I think. And there are a lot of people, you and I know a lot of very good people, who could make quite a list of very impressive and noteworthy and meritorious things. Yeah. Paul does that in one of the Corinthian letters, I think. He lists a whole thing, a whole bunch of things, being a Pharisee, being of the tribe of Benjamin, yeah. all this stuff. And then he, at the end, he says, I count it all as rubbish, Yeah, which is an interesting perspective. So what do you say to the person who can sit down with a notepad and list a lot of impressive things about him or herself. Yeah. So that when they're done with their list, they're thinking, I don't need church. I don't need Jesus. I'm doing just fine. Yeah. So we all do this. And um, we all think. We all do this. Yes. We all think, I'm doing good here. On on closer examination, though, I, if you, if you want to be honest with yourself. I the, do. The things. Oh, that's good. The things that we think that we're doing that are good are hardly ever purely good. It's, it's, um, there's always some sort of ulterior motive. There's always some sort of, uh, I, I go to a basketball game and I'm rooting for my daughter to play well. And part of that is my love for her, certainly. And I'm rooting for her, but, but I find myself wanting people to know that I'm the kind of parent who has a daughter who excels in basketball. It ends up being about me. St. Augustine talked about it in terms of, and then Martin Luther picked up on it later. These are two Christian theologians uh, using a Latin phrase, incurvatus in se, which means turned in on yourself, that everything that we do, even the, all the, the good things that we do, are end up being about ourselves. I was listening, um, there's a podcast I really, really like, uh, besides this one. I listen to other podcasts besides ours. Uh, uh, the the historian Tom Holland has this podcast called uh, The Rest is History. Really, really good. 
he was talking recently about the um, uh, the assassination of of uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury uh, in the 1300s, uh, Thomas Becket, and he knows he's going to be martyred. He's he's um, he's been chosen by the king. He's one of the king's old drinking buddies and carousers, and the and the king appoints him to be Archbishop of Canterbury because he thinks, well, this is this guy's gonna. I need I need one of the good old boys in this church office. Well, he gets in there and he decides, no, I'm actually going to be faithful to uh, Scripture and my calling as a Christian priest. And uh, he ends up getting killed, assassinated by some of the king's friends. He knows he's going to be assassinated. And um, there's this, uh, uh, Tom Holland talks about uh, this T.S. Eliot play called Murder in the Cathedral, which is about this, this, uh, this event. Uh, he's murdered in Canterbury Cathedral. And uh, as, the, as his assassins are approaching, he's fighting with himself because he's about to be martyred and he knows it. And then he stops himself and says, but even your martyrdom is going to be selfish because you're actually proud of the fact that people remember you as a martyr. And he's struck by the fact that the most noblest of Christian deeds dying for your faith, he can't even do that without selfishness. So, you know, you love your grandmother, right? And then she passes away. And you're sorry, you truly love her, but it's colored with this. It's colored with, you know, well, I wonder if there's anything left for me in the will, you know? And we're all like that. Everybody's like that. There's not a single thing that we can do that's good, and it's purely selfless good. We're all turned in on ourselves. And what that means is that it's not good enough. It's not good enough. It's too selfish. It's too broken. It's too self-serving. And so those, all those good deeds that we're proud of, even that, I do these good things and I'm proud of them. Why are you proud of them? Well, because I'm good. What does that mean? Good is a relative term. It means I'm better than the people that live next door. All of a sudden, I'm comparing myself to other people, and 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 I feel pride and and glory when I'm better than the the next door neighbor who lives on the north side of my house. But I'm kind of embarrassed because the guy who lives on the south side of my house is got he's got a treats his wife better. I'm kind of embarrassed about what a great relationship he has with his son. And he's pretty successful at work, and I've been struggling lately. And so you live your life caught in this uh, incurvatus in se, as Augustine and Luther say, where you're completely turned in on yourself. It's just not good enough. At the end of the day, you can't justify yourself, because if you look closely enough, even you, even you know that it's not good enough, the way that you're living your life and the way that you think and talk and act. So I sit down and I look at my pad, my list that I've made of things that I think are commendable. Yes, maybe even impressive from time to time. And I have to admit, I'm feeling pretty good about it, kind of proud of it. And then you come along or somebody comes along with a biblical view. Let's just go into Isaiah where it says all of our works are like filthy rags. All of our righteousness. All of our Okay, thank you. All yeah. of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Well, you just took away my list. You just completely wiped it clean. I'm not too happy about that. What are you going to do now? Well, you, you weren't too happy about it anyway. The problem was you just no, weren't. No, I was, I, I, was well, just, you you, I was basking in the glow of You mine. weren't looking closely enough. You weren't looking closely enough. Um, there's always somebody that's better than us. There's, uh, like, like I said, even our most noble deeds are colorful. I'm really good at comparing myself to people who are not as good as me. I, I don't necessarily look at the person and aspire to be like the better person. I look at the person that's not as good as me and think, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, that's the kind of person you, that's, that doesn't make very good friends or neighbors. The kind of person <laughs> who's completely unself-reflective. 
uh, I, I would just say like, uh, and it's, I, I know that there's a part of it that's discouraging that, you know, I think I'm a really good dad. I can tell myself that. Oh my gosh. I, I just know that if I like, if I just randomly take 15 minutes of interactions with my kids out of the past week and examine it, it's like filled with me being frustrated with them because they're not cooperative, them not living up to my standards, them when they walk around town, not exactly reflecting who I am that I want them to be. You know, I want my kid to like be the, uh, the, the top rebounder on the basketball team. And I want my daughter to get all the best grades and, and they're not doing it. And like, I can, that doesn't reflect well on me. So there's a place where I can go in my head where I'm like, yeah, I'm a dang good dad, but I, just intellectual honesty compels me to confess that that's not the case. And I know that that's not fun. It's not fun to get to that point where you're like, everything I do is screwed up somehow, maybe big ways, maybe small ways. It's all messed up. But actually, actually the path, if you want to be justified, if you want to be like, if you want to look yourself in the mirror and say, yes, I have value and worth and my existence here is important on this earth. If you want justification like that, the first step is to say you can't find it inside yourself or the things that you do. Well, I'm a little depressed. You took away all my good deeds, all my uh, impressive my impressive list here. We're talking about justification, so we've we've zeroed in on our topic. We're over the target. So, what about good deeds? Are they necessary in a critical sense to justification, or maybe in a peripheral sense, or are they irrelevant? They're absolutely unnecessary. You can't look at them. You can't, as soon as you start thinking in terms of like, I'm a good dad or, you know, I'm a good lawyer or uh, my lawn looks great or my golf game is really making improvements this year. As soon as you start looking at yourself like that, you are not going to be justified if you're honest. You're going to like be discouraged because you don't have ultimate purpose and meaning. You don't have ultimate worth. So from a Christian perspective, the first thing to do, yeah, the, all those good works, completely unimportant. You, you've got to get rid of them. Now, I'm not sure where you're wanting to go with this, Chuck, so just rein me in if this is moving too fast, like as far as topics for you know our time together today. But what, what, the, what the Bible says is that we get our value and our worth from God's love for us. God says to us, you have value and worth, and God is always right. I can say to myself, Aaron, you're a good dad, but I'm wrong. I'm just wrong. And I know that. And it takes away the help that I could get from that lie by knowing that I'm wrong. But when God says, Aaron Miller, I love you. You have infinite worth. You have value. Your existence is infinitely important to me. He is telling the truth. And he's the only one that can do it. Look, my wife can encourage me and say, you know, cheer up. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're not that ugly. So, but but I know that she's like got to be nice to me. I'm suspicious of her ulterior motives. I know that she's. I also know that she can be wrong. That she doesn't really know if I'm. You know what I'm really thinking. She doesn't know how really kind of an ugly person I am. But God knows every single little tiny thing about me, and He says, "I love you. You have infinite value." Go ahead. Let's think about the person who is listening to us, and this is resonating with them. It's. They're thinking about how yeah. these words that we're so. speaking affect them. Yeah. And in the privacy, I'm wondering, I'm thinking maybe most of them in the privacy of their own hearts and minds and headphones are saying, yep, yep, 
I know what it's like to do an inventory, and I know what it's like to think about the things where I've succeeded or done well. Right. But I can never get rid of those things that I know where I failed. Yeah. I know, and those things, I drag them around like baggage. I would so much love to get rid of that stuff, Mm -hmm. but it's, I turn around and it's still there. I think, would you agree? A lot of people are thinking those thoughts now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm saying to you that God loves you infinitely. He accepts you completely. Everything about you he loves, and you are completely justified. Your existence has infinite value. But people, you know, I I myself too, and I think a lot of people would be like, well, then God's wrong. Like, how can he not see what what I see about myself? How can he not see what my friends see and my kids see and my spouse sees? How can he not see that? And the answer, of course, is that he's not an idiot. He's also not delusional. This isn't some sort of big lie either where he says, let's just pretend like you're okay. And I'll just say you're okay. That's not what's going on here. He's he is he is rigorously he knows my own motives better than I do, and I'm sick of my own motives. So what's he feeling? Well, the answer in the Bible is this: is that there is a person, there is a person. It's not me, but there is a person who, on his own, God infinitely accepts and loves. This person, like me, not on my own. Like I'm too lousy of a of a of a father for God to be like. Aaron, you're really a great father. No, I know that's not true. God knows it's not true. But there is somebody that God looks at and says, that person is perfect. That person has infinite worth and value. That person, everything that person does is spot on and right. And everything that person does is like the best in the room. The person is the best in the room. And that person is his son, Jesus, Jewish construction worker from around uh, 2,000 years ago. God sends him. He is He's actually God's son. God sends him in human form. And he nails it. Everything he does is right. Everything he does is perfect. And when God looks at him, he says, that person is justified. That person has value. Now, how, what does that have to do with me then? Here's what Christians teach. This is what the Bible teaches. This is what God tells us. Is that God can take us by the power of baptism, by the power of his word, God can take us and plug us into his son Jesus so that when he looks at me, all he sees is the infinite value of his son, Jesus. The justness of Jesus. Yeah. J- Jesus is justified. His like He rules over the universe perfectly. I don't even rule over my own checkbook perfectly. I don't even r- rule over the next hour that I've got to my life perfectly. I'm going to botch that and blow time and make mistakes. Jesus nails it. But if somehow I can be in a position where I get what Jesus has got— you know, the favor of the father. If I can be in that position, then I can get that good. I can get that too. Not on my own because it's not me, but what Jesus, when, when, when the father looks at Jesus and says, he is perfectly valuable because I've been plugged into Jesus. I get that too. I get the perfect value that the son has. And what we call that in the Christian church is justification by faith. I am just, I'm just, just, it doesn't mean I, I do good deeds. It means that I have infinite value because I've been put inside of Jesus, and I believe that. And so when I look at myself in the mirror, this is what the faith part is. When I look at myself in the mirror in the morning, I cannot say, Aaron, you have value because you're going to go out there and you're going to play great golf today, and the three other guys in your foursome are going to look at you and be like, man, he is really hitting them close to the pen today. That's I, I, I can't do that. What I do instead is I look, at my, I look at my face in the mirror and I say, Aaron, 
You might play great golf today. You might play horrible golf today. You might be a great father today. You might be a bad father today. You might drive safely today. You might get in a wreck today. But at the bottom line, because you, Aaron, are inside of Jesus, God thinks that you're perfect. God calls you perfect. God calls everything that you do as holy and righteous and just. That brings to mind a scripture from Matthew 5. For those folks who are sort of focused on their good deeds, Mm -hmm. their good works, and thinking about it in sort of a meritorious or um, justifying way. Yeah. Well, they come across Matthew 5, where Matthew says, you therefore must be perfect. Right. As your heavenly father is perfect. And oftentimes, folks will just have to kind of explain that away because even they know that on their best day, when all their shots are close to the pin and they drive below the speed limit and their children praise them for the wonderful parent that they are, they're still not perfect. So Matthew 5 can't really mean that you've got to be perfect. It doesn't mean that, or does it? Well, yeah, that's the standard, right? I mean, this is like this is what uh, Sir Thomas Beckett is grappling with, you know, standing uh, next to the altar in Canterbury Cathedral as his – the four knights who came in to slaughter him are walking into the room is I'm about to do the most holy, noble thing a Christian woman or man can do. I, I'm going to give up my life for the faith. And then he realizes that's not perfect. It's not good enough because I'm so proud of it. And I'm actually kind of like, there's a part of me that's hoping for it because it's like going to be, my name will be spoken of for centuries with glory. The, yeah. The perfection is the standard, but we can't get there. And that's why it's so important that like, I mean, you got to realize that you you know the, the score for your round is not going to be 18. You are not going to get 18 holes in one. That's the standard and, and you're just not going to get it. And so you're going to hit bad shots and that's going to be frustrating. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you have to say all of my value comes because when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. And so that means I'm perfect. I can do no wrong at this level. I can do no wrong. We'll talk for a, in a few minutes if you'd like about so what do we do with like the bad things we do and the good things we do because we definitely still do bad things. Well, we're heading in that direction. Yeah. But right now we've got sort of we're showing a couple of cards for people to listen to. One of them is we took from Isaiah, all of your righteousness is like right. all of it is like filthy rags. Yeah. Or Paul later says it in the New Testament, there is none who does right. right? Not no not one. Yeah. And then we're told by Matthew that you have to be perfect. Yeah. Well, that's that's almost out of reach. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure it's out of reach. So I want to read from Ephesians 2 here because I'm trying to figure out, now that I understand, yeah. better understand the magnitude of the problem, Yeah. I'm going to go to Ephesians 2, Yeah. see what it says. Paul writes, for by grace you have been saved or given eternal life through faith and this is not your own doing. Right. It's not your own work. Yeah. It is the gift of God, mm-hmm. not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Yeah. We are saved by grace through faith, the gift of God, period. But wait a minute. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yes. I almost got there. I almost had yeah. it. And then 
there the good works are back. What, yeah. what can you help me with this? Yeah. So that, that, the, 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 the really juicy part in the middle is the gift of God. That's that, that grace and faith salvation by grace of God. That's a, that's, it's a, a fancy way of saying that God just gives it to us. We don't have to earn. He gives it to us. Faith is what we're talking about. That, that faith is that moment when you stand in the mirror and you say, Aaron, you are cool because when God looks at you, he sees his son, Jesus. That's what faith is, Be- believing that that's true, telling myself that that's true. Okay, so how, how, does this, how does this help us practically? Good works don't do anything for that. And good works do not give me value, right? Or justification. Just, that's what I'm talking about. Justification is the value that you have. Justification is not how you get to, remember, justification is not how you get to heaven when you die. Justification is not this fancy religious word. Justification is the universal attempt by humans to recognize themselves as worthwhile and valuable. Now, you can do that two ways. You can self-justify, but like we talked about, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. But the moment where you realize it's not working, I, I can't actually give myself value. I can't honestly look at my mirror and say, Aaron, you're worthwhile and doggone it, people like you. All my self-justice is unjust. Right, yeah. It's actually, and actually, that's, that's more damaging because what happens is, is that crushes people. The pursuit, like if my just, I'll give you some examples here. If my justification is that I'm going to make partner at the firm, I'm going to have to step on some people to get there. I'm going to have to make myself better than other contestants for that position to get there. I'm just going to end up doing damage. I'm going to have to, if I really want to make partner, I'm going to have to do a bunch of overtime this next year, which means that's time I'm not going to be spending with my spouse. It's time I'm going to be ignoring my friends. There's going to be nights when I don't get to go to the kids' t-ball game. I'm going to be losing out on stuff. My my desire to justify myself is I see this a lot, man. I see this a lot in parents whose um, kids leave home. Somebody will, um, you know, I'll I'll talk to parents who've got you know have got their kids at home, and the mom will say to me, like, our kids are just number one. We put our kids first in everything, and and that sounds all great and everything. But what they're saying is, is that my kid's success gives me value. Well, then the kid leaves home, or even worse, the kid you know makes dumb decisions, which all kids do, right? And then all of a sudden, that justification is gone. Like my reason for existence, the thing that got me up in the morning, I've got these kids that I take care of, it's gone. And what happens? Inevitably, what happens is this, is the kid is going to, the parent's going to be chasing the kid around for the rest of their life saying, I still need you to give me value. Like, I need you to have grandkids. I need you to change your major at college. I need you to make more money. Why don't you call me more? You know, why, why don't you come to my house on Christmas? Why did you go to your spouse's family's house on Christmas? And what happens is, is that desire to justify yourself by being good, good mom or good dad ends up crushing your kids, your grandkids. And it's, the relationships. The relationships all on the way. Instead, what happens is if you can stand in the mirror and you can say, I don't have any value because I'm a father or a mother or a worker or an athlete, or a gardener, whatever it is. Instead, my, my value is completely because God looks at me and says, I love you just as much as I love my son Jesus because you belong to him. Ephesians 2.10 is going to start happening. We were created for good works. All of a sudden, I can start loving my kids without putting the burden on them that I need them to be my savior. I can start being a good lawyer without the burden of, I have to be a great lawyer for my salvation, for my justification. 
I can start being a good friend without any sort of sense like I need people to like me. I need my friends to like me or I don't have value. If they don't like me, I can keep on pouring myself into them. When I slip up and I end up getting like putting too much pressure on the kids for what they're doing or getting too aggressive at work and stepping on somebody, I can always turn back to that, to, to, to Jesus and be like, you know what? I don't need to be like that. I don't need to like, my kid doesn't need to be a great athlete for me to like have value in my own eyes. I don't need that. I can just love them. And if they're a bad athlete, if they're a lousy student, if I'm a lousy lawyer, I'm free to actually work harder at being those things without the pressure of having to be good at those things. And that's the payout of justification. And all of a sudden the good works become less, what am I doing to like prove myself to myself and other people? And more like, how can I stop being turned in on myself and start being turned out towards others. The good works actually, for the first time, become good works because I don't need them to be my good works. They just freely flow out of the fact that I'm completely accepted anyway. So my justification, my ticket to eternal life, can I say it that way? That's kind of crass, I guess. That justification does not flow or is not generated by any good works that I think that I do, which are self-justifying. And they not only do not generate it, but they don't even help generate it. It's not like Jesus does 90%, but I got to do my 10%. Yes, it's yeah. 100% Jesus, yeah. period. And if there's any part of them that is trying to generate it, it undermines the whole thing. So once a person is justified by grace, that's unmerited favor from God, which is unearned, Right. by faith, the gift that he gives us so that we can access that that uh, saving work by Jesus now puts us in a position to do good works. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You're, you're freed up. You're no longer like, you no longer have to prove anything to yourself or to anybody. So you can be a good father. Yeah. At least often, yeah. occasionally, I, so, so, in so, Jesus. I hope everybody sees the difference, right? I mean, there's one way, like I can, I can take my kid out to the driveway to, to teach him to shoot three free throws. And there's two ways to do it. I can do it because I want my neighbors to see that I'm a good father. That's a, that's a little bit crass. I can do it because like, that's my duty. Because when he stands on the free throw line, you want him to make free throws because it reflects on you. That's part of it too. Yeah. That's part of it too, right? Or me. Right. Yeah. But if I, if I can get, if, if I can look myself in the mirror and say, my son might be the worst free throw shooter in the world, but, but my father in heaven says that I, my existence is worthwhile and I am justified. I like my existence is justified. Seems to me that there's a kind of a freedom that comes with that. Absolutely. I can go out there and I can teach him to to shoot free throws and I will find myself getting less frustrated with him. I will find myself getting less pressure of like, you've got to, you know, you need to be good at this because I don't want you missing in a game because, you know, I, I don't want the bad feelings. I don't want the bad. So we've all experienced this of parents who've like kids have like done sports or played music or been in scholar bowl or whatever. Like, we're nervous, and like we tell ourselves, oh, I'm nervous for him. I, I'm nervous to make the free throw. But actually, I just don't want to feel nervous. And what this happens is it starts to liberate us to like free throws made, free throws missed. My father says, my father in heaven says, I'm completely worthy, no questions asked. And I'm free to love him and begin teaching him to shoot free throws just for his own benefit, not to have anything to do with me. And that pressure, that, that, that pressure is gone and it's so liberating to be justified from outside of yourself. So I think you've moved the needle on this nicely. Um, I, I kind of feel like I'm rounding third. I need a ribbon. I need to put a ribbon on this understanding, particularly because it's counterintuitive. Yeah. We're all self-justifiers. Yes. 
And now we're getting a message on that doesn't work, and here's the way it does work. So after Paul says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, he says in one of his letters to um, Timothy, first letter to Timothy, teaching the Christians in Timothy's care, he says uh, they, those Christians, are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves. Can you add that on to what we've talked about so far? Because here is an exhortation to get out there and yeah, and get busy and yeah. start doing some good works. Yeah, after we seemingly took that all away, and now here we are saying now we expect you to do some good work. Yeah. Can you make sense out of that? Yeah, that's a great that's a great question, and that's a common. Uh, so let me talk to the Christians a little bit. That's a common Christian misunderstanding of. God justifying our existence by faith in Jesus. So here's a bad way to understand it, and let me use my free throw analogy. You're teaching your son, to, you're teaching your son to shoot free throws, but you're putting lots of pressure on him because it's really important to you that he be a good free throw shooter. And all that pressure is like it's it's manifesting in frustration with him, and like like you can't enjoy his basketball games because you're nervous all the time he's going to do well. But now you come to the place where you realize. I don't need I don't need my kid to shoot free throws well to have value as a father. In Jesus, God already says I have value. The bad move would be then to say, so I guess I don't need to teach my kid how to shoot free throws anymore. I guess I don't even need to worry about my kids anymore. I have value from Jesus and God the Father. I don't need to do anything. Now, the point isn't to free us from doing things. The point is to take away the burden of self-justification so that we can be liberated to do the good things, not for our own selves, but to love and serve our friends and our kids and our neighbors and our spouses, whatever. And so what's happening, you know, you know, we're justified by God not to get us out of doing good deeds, but so that we can, for the first time in our lives, really do the good deeds, not to benefit ourselves, but to benefit others. That's the point. And so what we'll find is like whenever we do come to faith, Paul can say to us like, hey, let's go. Let's do it. Let's start. Do- now you're free. You can start doing good things because ironically, you don't need to do good things. To prove yourself. You can do good things because God wants you to do good things and he loves you. Here's my last question. There are some people listening to us who have rounded third, have made it all the way home, are convinced that what we have described today is true, but would say, you know, I felt motivated by this at one time in my life. I felt encouraged by this message. I grasped it and I went out there to do good works. And you know what? I got burned. I got hurt. I decided to try to involve myself in this person's life to help, and I got rebuked, and it hurt. What do you say to that person? That's inevitable. It's inevitable because one thing that we've done, or one thing I've done the past half hour, Chuck, is to make it way too simple, to make it like there's this moment. But it it really is simple. Let me explain what I mean. To make it where like this, it's this moment where you realize... I'm completely justified by God. He says I have worth. And then all of a sudden, all the all the stress, all the self-justification falls away. It doesn't actually work like that. Every Christian that I know knows that they have value from God and Jesus Christ. And that's their only and ultimate value. But every single one of them will try and like still sneak some of that value sometime. It's, it's, I, honestly, I still get nervous at my kids' games. I still get embarrassed like when I say something stupid in front of people, I, I'm still not liberated from all the self-centeredness. I'm getting there. I constantly have to go back to the mirror and say, Aaron, it's not you. 
You don't need to be funny. You don't need to be smart. You don't need to have great kids. You don't need to have a great job. You don't need to have a great yard. I constantly have to tell myself that. So one of the things that happens is you're, you know, like in your example, you're dealing with another human being and you get in this relationship and you're like, you know what? I'm com- completely freed by God's acceptance of me to love these people. But then it goes south and they end up hurting you and we end up getting upset. And the reason why we end up getting set upset is because we're still not completely freed from the notion that like, I have value if me dealing with these other people actually helps them or fixes them. And when it doesn't and they turn, like that value is, and we got to go back to the mirror and say, Aaron, it was never you in the first place. You having that relationship with that person and that person's life being made better or that person loving you back, that was never going to justify you. You already know that. Keep on going back to God to get your justification and then go back to that person and whether they love you or accept you or are benefited by you or not, it's you're still free to love and serve them. That gives me an idea for maybe a program in the future, maybe next time or down the road, because when we are justified, that doesn't mean we are pure. We are at the same time justified and we are still sinners. Yeah, yeah. We still sin. Yes. Justification doesn't fix us. Death and getting rid of this sinful flesh fixes us. But while we're in this life, we go back and forth between seeing ourselves as justified and seeing ourselves selfishly. Can we? Well, let's talk about that in the future sometime. That'd be good, yeah. All right. You've been listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. I've heard from many of you who say that you're enjoying our topics and dialogue. We have over 30 shows on a variety of subjects. Please click the like button on our episode page when you visit. I'm Chuck Rathard. Thanks for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God.